Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 388. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rankstraw. Hey, Kevin. Oh, hi. Hello. How, how was your holiday weekend? It was good. It was good. Different. It was good. Yeah. Different for everyone, I really? think. Oh, it was good. Yeah, yeah it was good. Uh, had some good food and all of that. Trying to get back into the swing of things now. Try to get get back on a on a diet. Try to eat better again. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. Have yeah. a we- weekend full of junk food, and now I'm going to try to be a little bit more disciplined. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Claire Duvall's latest Happiest Season, which is available now on Hulu, along with someone we'll be watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week please remember to review us on itunes if you get a moment that would be super helpful uh the new episode of saved by the 90s should be dropping today as this episode drops so you can uh check that out on its own feed just search for saved by the 90s this month for november we're doing adaptations so we got uh, bram stoker's dracula we got that's the francis ford coppola one we have interview with the vampire we have Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann one, and then we also have The Insider from Michael Mann, which that was a first-time watch for me, and what an incredible movie that is. Holy hell. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. Yeah, I had a feeling. It was so good. So good. So check that out. Again, that should be dropping today alongside this episode. Uh, with that, I think we can hop into our... Review, we're talking about Happiest Season. As I mentioned, this is written and directed by Clea Duvall. Uh, I have a synopsis here, a holiday romantic comedy that captures the range of emotions tied to wanting your family's acceptance, being true to yourself, and trying not to ruin Christmas. Now, you have a absolutely stacked cast with this one. Great ensemble in my opinion. Would you say it was a great, great ensemble, Kevin? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Making sure we're on the same page there. Uh, you have Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Mary Steenburgen, Victor Garber's in there, Alison Brie, Dan Levy, Aubrey Plaza. I mean, it's just, uh, incredible cast. And then you have like what? some, there's like ca- some cameos in there too, which are great. A lot of mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a lot of yeah. uh, like like Timothy Simons is in there and uh, uh, Lauren Lapkus. They play the, the like the mall security guards and it just you know one off just one scene, but they certainly you know make an impact too. And like Anna Gasteyer's in there too, and she's great as always. So really really enjoyable cast. Uh, went into this you know. <sighs> I don't I don't even think I saw the trailer, honestly. I don't think I really knew anything about this other than it had an impressive cast. And I was kind of thinking like this doesn't necessarily look like my type of movie. It looks kind of like a fairly banal rom-com holiday-themed rom-com. And I and I don't typically gravitate towards those, although I do like Christmas movies. But I got to say, and and I think that maybe it was just when this movie came out, like the current situation that we're all in, that uh, I had a really good time with this movie overall. I laughed a lot. I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. That's good. That's good. I'm happy for you. (laughs) I take it you did not enjoy yourself with this movie? No. It's not that I didn't enjoy myself. I did... I did, for the most part, enjoy enjoy my time while watching it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't find myself, like, laughing out loud or anything or finding things, you know, like, excessively humorous or anything along those lines. But it was it was well enough that I was enjoying myself through the runtime. You know what I mean? Like, I had, like, a, a, a small smile on my face, and I was like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't half bad. There's, there's worse ways that I could be spending my time, you know? And, and that, and that's what I mean. Like I didn't love this movie. I didn't think it was like the best thing I've seen all year, but 
you know, yeah. I, I think I watched this on Thanksgiving Day, and it was like just in the evening, winding down, and it was just it was a it was a comfortable movie. Like I found myself being comforted by it. It it just yeah. seemed to be come out at just the right time. I think that re- putting it out on a streaming service like Hulu was a good choice. You know, this is a good movie to watch at home with your family members, your loved ones, and it wasn't. I mean, I, I had some issues with it that we can get into but yeah. for the most part I, I i thought it was it was pretty fun yeah i mean yeah it's not, it's not a bad time but i think i think what gets me is that with this cast i just i feel like he you could have done better i think like you could have come up with something much better than this like this isn't bad but at the same time everyone that's involved here yeah, I feel like you could have come up with something far more memorable. And I think that the thing that gets me the most about this movie is a large number of the characters, almost all the characters, really, outside of like two or three, are just re- like they have one aspect to their personality or their like the breathing that they're here in this movie, mm-hmm. wise. And like, that's it. There's nothing really like they don't build on it and nothing, you know, flesh it out. It's just like, this is their thing. And that's what they're going to do for the duration. It's just a little bit disappointing because the people here are great. You have such great actors. I, yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. I think that the, the characters overall could have used a little bit of work. And actually that's was the main criticism I had about Clea Duvall's last film, which was called intervention, which or the intervention, which was also a, a strong ensemble piece. That was also a comedy. And I liked that one for the most part too. But a lot of the issues that I had with that one sort of carried over onto this one. I think that she does a good job sort of balancing an ensemble but I also think at the same time that a lot of the characters are a bit, a bit one note and slightly underwhelming. I think that like you have like Victor Garber and Mary Steenburgen are great as, you know, the parents like they, they I think that they are really well cast and the the characters are good, but they just felt so one dimensional to me. Like, they were so dead focused on this one aspect where it was like he, he was running for mayor or whatever. And I just, I never necessarily felt like the love in this family at all. And maybe that was supposed to be part of it, but it it actually kind of pulled me out of it at times because I felt like really none of these characters were particularly likable except for maybe uh christian stewart's character is abby and i think that she was really the star of the show and then yeah i like dan levy's character as john a lot too i thought he was really funny but everyone else i was just like i don't really i don't really like these people yeah. <laughs> like i don't i don't really enjoy them as people very much i mean i guess you could i guess uh mary holland uh as jane it was the one of the the three siblings. I think that she was pretty funny as well, but yeah. she was a little bit yeah. cartoony. Yeah, she's a bit. She also co-wrote this, which I didn't know until afterwards. But yeah, you're right. That those two are, are really the only likable characters, and, and like you said, they're an extension Mary Holland and to another extension Aubrey Plaza's character. Yeah, but yeah, she doesn't uh, yeah. really get much to do. Like I could have used a lot more of her. I was here. I was kind of hoping that it was going to go a different way and Kristen Stewart's character of Abby was going to end up getting together with Aubrey Plaza's character. It seemed like that was a better fit than where, where it went. I don't want to get, you know, too much into spoiler territory, but, um, I liked, I I liked Aubrey Plaza's character a lot in this. Yeah. No, I think if you've, if you've seen anyone discussing this movie, on any of the various platforms like that's no uh spoiler at all because i think that's what everyone wanted it's pretty much kristen stewart and Albert plaza yeah um and, and looking at the comedy aspect of it i did i did there were multiple parts of it that made me laugh but i thought that 
the bulk of the humor was was sort of saddled on Kristen Stewart's shoulders. I think that her the situations that she finds herself in. So to does this uh no it doesn't it doesn't say so in the synopsis. So just to take a step back really quickly, um, Mackenzie Davis, Kristen Stewart, they're a couple. They decide that they're going to go to Mackenzie Davis's family's house for the holidays. Her character's name's Harper, and it turns out that uh, Kristen Stewart's character of Abby, she finds out as they're going there that she has not come out to her parents yet, and it's she's still in the closet. And so they decide that they're going to keep their relationship a secret. And that lends itself to some, uh, some comedic hijinks and some, some conflict later on in the movie. And I, so I, anyway, I thought that a large portion of the comedy was, was, uh, was pretty much just Kristen Stewart (laughs) reacting to the various, situations that she was like that were thrust upon her and i thought that she did a really good job (laughs) i do i do like the commitment to the bit in that like the kind of the the justification for her kristen stewart's character of abby coming along she's the roommate and the reason that she's coming along is that her parents died and she doesn't really have anywhere to go so you know mackenzie davis let her tag along so everyone treats her like an orphan like our parents died at a really young age and mm-hmm. just the commitment to that bit. I thoroughly enjoyed where, it, especially that one time where she was just like, my parents died when I was 19. Like, it's not a big deal. And for whatever reason, just the fact that they kept doing it over and over and over <laughs> again in the beginning stages, it's just like, these people are not, they're so weird. These people aren't real. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I liked a lot of the little, there were lots of little one-off you know one-off lines and just small like sort of nuanced comedic bits in there like like when when they it gave her the little chair at dinner <laughs> so she was sitting there at the at the dinner table and had the the tiny chair and she looked she looked like a little child compared to everyone else yeah there's enough there there's enough there i think but it, there is also a part of it for me that felt like entirely too manufactured in the sense that, like, Dan Levy's character, ever since Get Out, there seems to be this, this, the friend who's back home that they call, and he's the person that's kind of, like, walking you through it, like, oh, you shouldn't be there. You know what I mean? Like, he's the, the comic relief, and he's the one seeing things from afar and trying to, you know, navigate you through the minefield. Yeah. And then the fact that all the characters are, like, but just entirely too one dimensional and the, the way that everything kind of culminates at the end, which I, I feel like there is justifications for this, or you can at least find justifications for these um, decisions in the sense of like the way that this thing ends, like the developments of some of these characters are just nonsensical, just absolutely would not happen ever. But, you know, it is in essence, like, a fantasy movie like any other Christmas movie where things are completely nonsensical and would never happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it follows sort of the Christmas movie formula pretty closely. You know, when you, when you compare this to really any other, any other big Christmas movie, like Christmas story or national lampoons, Christmas vacation or anything like that, you have these sort of small set pieces that are leading up to a big, event that happens at the end of the movie and it i think that it follows that formula pretty closely you have a a family this this you know this family that on the surface is this sort of you know norman rockwell painting and underneath the surface you have a lot of dysfunction and that's nothing new like we've seen that before but i think that this is entertaining enough and propelled by a cast that is funny and talented enough to make it worth a light recommendation. I don't think that I would like add this to my yearly Christmas rotation or anything like that. And I think that, I think that it's by and large a fairly 
forgettable movie. It's like one of these movies where you, you go into it, you enjoy yourself for an hour and a half or however long it is. And then, you know, it, it just kind of fades away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's just some weird, weird things to it. Uh, essentially the, like as they're driving there and she's like, Oh, by the way, you know how I told you, you know, a couple of months ago that I came out to my parents and they were really great about it. That didn't actually happen. And she's like, Oh, what? You know, and then now she's stuck in this situation. And it's just kind of like, okay, if you guys been together for a year and she told you months ago that she came out to her parents and they were okay with it and everything. But since then, and on the way there, because when Kristen Stewart gets to the house, it's as if she's not only meeting these people for the first time, it's like the first time she's ever talking to them in any capacity whatsoever, which mm-hmm. is just odd to me. It's just like, have you never, like, no communication whatsoever in the course of a year. Yeah, it's a little, I mean, she was, she was clearly, you know, keeping, keeping her family away. I, I don't know that, I, maybe I would have questioned that if I were in that relationship. At some point, I probably would have questioned that because I would have been so neurotic about things. I would have been worried that yeah. it was something that, that, you know, like they were, sh- they were ashamed of being with me or something yeah. like that, you know? Well, and it wasn't even like the, she was meeting them for the first time or that they were talking to each other for the first time. It was like the first time that her parents even like knew of an Abby. Yeah. Even as a roommate. <laughs> like, yes. It was just like, uh, okay. That's weird. Unfortunately, Mackenzie Davis's character is Harper. Is, she's just not, not a very likable person in this. No, like I was, I was like really that. not on Harper's side at all. No, and I think again that's one of the things where it's like the characters are a bit too one-dimensional in the sense that, especially with Mackenzie Davis's, where she, like everything she does is within like the villain context of this movie, and it's just like, do we? I don't know. It seems like overkill to just keep piling it on over and over and over again because you kind of like lost like whatever sympathies that you had for them as a couple where you're just like, yeah, no, this is a bad situation. Yeah. Especially because, uh, somewhat early on in the movie, her ex-boyfriend, uh, comes into play. Connor played by uh, Jack McDorman. And when that whole dynamic comes into play that, I mean, like you said, that just kind of continues to pile on these, these sort of red flags like yeah this is this is not a great situation here like her family is yeah. all she's not great she's clearly a liar she's hiding things she and, and her family seems to be pretty awful i mean allison Bree's character <laughs> i i liked allison Bree's character just because of how much of a like brutal bitch she was <laughs> the whole time she was just so cold and awful and it's like you, you want to continue being around these people. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I love when Dan, when she was on the phone with, with Dan Levy's character, and he goes, "There's nothing more erotic than concealing your authentic selves." Yeah. <laughs> I know that at some yeah. point, there, I, I'm, I'm wondering if there's some sort of alternate version of this movie because I know that at some point Clea Duvall was actually in the movie and she played Abby's ex-girlfriend so I'm wondering if there was some restructuring that happened here that's what I mean that's what I mean by like it's a bit too manufactured like I feel like I can't pinpoint and say for sure that you know this is the byproduct of, of like producer notes, but it feels like that. It just feels like it. I just have this hunch that a lot of this boiled down to producer notes. Could be. Uh, yeah. Either way, I still would give it a, a light recommendation. I mean, I, I had pretty low expectations going into this to begin with. And I think that maybe that helped, helped it out a bit. Um, so I think, Overall, I still think it's a it's a decent 
decent enough holiday film. I mean, usually holiday films are really bad. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like really, really bad. So for for me, this was, was definitely a win. Um, and I think that uh, Claire Duvall has, a, she continues to have a promising future as a director. I want to, I want to see her continuing to uh, direct films. Cause I, I, I liked her last one. Okay. Too. So, yeah, I, I just, I had, again, I have this sneaking, or sneaking suspicion that if she can just be given freedom, then I think you'll see what she actually has to offer. You know what I mean? Yeah, could be. I also wasn't a big fan of the the very end, what the way that they wrap things up. I was just like, eh, I don't know if I really care for, for this. It just it was a little bit too much didn't think it was necessary to put that tack that stuff on at the end yeah that's happiest season again it's available now on hulu uh let's go ahead and give it a score kevin what are you going to give this movie out of 10 give it give it a like a five all right i'm sitting at a five and a half or maybe a six Mm -hmm. five and a half six on this one Light recommend mostly based on the cast alone. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think if 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 you don't have this cast, this is this is nothing. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about someone watching. I don't have a whole lot this week, uh, as I was visiting family for the holidays. Um, started things off with a thief. From 1981, directed by Michael Mann. This has been on my watch list forever, for ages. It's one of those movies that I've been meaning to get around to forever. And finally, after I watched The Insider, which was also directed by Michael Mann, I was like, you know what? This is a good opportunity. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch Thief, starring James Caan. Uh, In this movie, Mm -hmm. James Caan plays an expert safe cracker. Have you seen this movie, by the way? I want to. Oh my God, Kevin, (laughs) you're, Oh, it's so good. Uh, this movie might be one of my favorite Michael Mann movies. It's, it's right up there with the insider and, and heat for me. Like it's just, you can, it's funny because when you see heat, you can see the DNA of thief in that movie. Uh, it's, this is a, it's a heist movie and it's about, you know, James Caan, safe cracker. He goes to prison for like 11 years. So he gets out and he decides, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm getting older now. I uh, spent so much of my life behind bars. I just want to settle down, get a wife, get a kid, and just relax and do the whole, like, normal life thing. So he meets this waitress. He tells her his plan. She, for some reason, goes along with it, and they, like, immediately, I think they might even get married, like, immediately, and then he finds out that she can't have kids, so he ends up buying a kid, like, sort of off the black market. He buys a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the the reason he's able to buy a a child, a a baby, is because he gets involved with this, this sort of gangster guy who gives him one last job, you know, one big score. And this is going to be just going to give him $410,000. And that's going to be enough for him to retire and just live the easy life. He gets a house too, by the way, buys a house. And of course everything goes to shit, but man, is it, it's just incredible. I can't recommend it enough. Jim Belushi's in there. Jim Belushi plays like his partner and Willie Nelson. Yeah. Willie Nelson is in there who plays like his, his yeah. like mentor. Yes. It's yeah. I gotta, I gotta watch more. Um, I gotta watch more Michael Mann movies. He's, I've always for the most part enjoyed the ones that I have seen, but he, for some reason I'm just like, I never seek them out. Yeah. He's a unique director. He's definitely unique, but thief is definitely worth a look. 
Well, I watched uh, one I forgot to mention last week. That's the 40-year-old version mm. from Rod Blank. Mm-hmm. This is on Netflix. So Rod Blank plays, it's pretty much, for the most part, uh, autobiographical. She plays a, a playwright. She won an award, you know, 30 under 30 playwright award. She was, you know, going to be the next big thing. And now she's coming up on turning 40, and she really hasn't done anything. Right. And her mom just passed away recently. <clears throat> so she's kind of stuck in this rut. She's developing this play. Uh, she wants it to be, you know, she wants to kind of have this be her moment, you know, to announce herself back to the, the theater community. Uh, but things just aren't working out for her. So in the meantime, she, she realizes that when she was young, she's really into rapping. She's really into hip hop, being an MC. So she kind of gets back into it again and just starts, you know, coming up with freestyles and writing new stuff. And so she kind of thinks, you know, in the interim, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. She's, I'm going to make a mixtape. So there's the, it's kind of a three pronged approach where she's working on the mixtape. She's working with a young producer, you know, making beats. And of course there's that odd couple type thing going on with her being a 40 year old woman and him being a, a young guy making beats doesn't say much uh, or her trying to get her play going within the theater community in New York city. And then the other thing that she does is she teaches theater to teenagers. And of course it doesn't really go that well because they're kind of the stereotypical teens and uh, they're just pretty much obsessed with sex. And that's about it. And that was the thing that, like, this movie, for the most part, again, it's kind of like Happiest Season, where I didn't find it overly funny. I wasn't laughing out loud. Uh, but I did enjoy myself through the runtime, even though this movie is entirely too long. Like, I don't, I don't know why this movie is two hours long. There's no need for it. Absolutely no need. Um, but for the most part, I enjoyed myself. It just, unfortunately, it's at a certain point, it, I came to the realization where I was like, I don't think this is going to end. Like, I don't think this movie's going to end ever. <laughs> it just kept going, which is kind of a knock against it, obviously. But, you know, it's not, it's not bad. It's not bad. You know, it's an enjoyable enough time. There was numerous things that just didn't work for me. Again, the fact that teenagers are just absolutely obsessed with sex. And not only that, but a lot of the kids, uh, male and female, um, are like obsessed with her and want to have sex with her. And she's the one that wrote and directed it. So it just came off really weird. Mm. Just, yeah. It's like, uh, like, why, why? Like, it's bad enough that you have one character, but did we need like three characters? It's weird. It's really weird. Kind of obsessed with it, it seems. <laughs> All right. That's a 40 year old version. And that is on Netflix. Uh, I saw six, nine, the saga of Danny Hernandez. This is a documentary on Hulu about, uh, Takeshi six, nine. Uh, oh, no, why'd you do this? I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I was bored. I was bored. I, it was just, I, I just put it on. I wasn't even planning on watching the whole thing, and then I just ended up leaving it on. Um, I want to say I want to say one thing real quick because it kind of ties into my last movie, Rada Blank. She does her own rapping in the movie, and I've never heard a Takeshi sixty nine song, but I can tell you right now, I know a hundred percent Rada Blank is a better rapper than Takeshi sixty nine. Mm, yeah, I would probably say that too. I've never heard. I've never heard her rap, but I would uh, be willing to bet, put money on the fact that she is better. I mean, she's, she will, I mean, her lyrics are probably leaps and bounds above his. So (laughs) at any rate, uh, uh, this is, it's a bad documentary about a horrible person. Like that's just what this is. I can't recommend the documentary. I can't recommend anything about it. I think that, wasting your time with giving this person more notoriety is 
counterproductive. Like just, just don't do it. You know, just leave, leave this dude alone. Maybe he'll go away. I mean, he's kind of in hiding right now anyway, because of the whole snitching thing. So his days might be numbered. I don't, I don't know, but the, the documentary, it feels like a vice expose. It doesn't feel like a real documentary. It feels like something you'd see on Viceland. You remember, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them, but there used to be a show on Viceland called Noisy, which chronicled different music trends in specific areas of the world. And it was a pretty good documentary series, but it was still a TV series. And when I put this on, I'm thinking, oh, this this is a documentary, like a real high production value mm-hmm. documentary. And it's, it's not that it feels like an episode of some vice show. And like the, the director Vikram Gandhi, he like injects himself into the movie so much. Like he narrates it, he's in it, he's doing interviews, but like huge portions of the documentary are just audio clips from previous exposés that were done on Takeshi six, nine um, by like iHeartRadio and stuff like that. So like huge chunks of this aren't even original content. And like he, like, yes, he interviews um, Takeshi six nines. I don't know if they're married. If it's, his, it's, they're not married. His, he, he interviews his girlfriend um, and then some of the other people that were around him, but he doesn't interview Takeshi six, nine. He doesn't, he doesn't land that interview. And what's the point there? Exactly. Like it just, none of it feels. And at the end of the movie, he's just like, Oh, I think that, you know, I think that Danny was probably a, a he's a, he's a good person. He's just misunderstood. And, and the, his persona, his, Takeshi six, nine persona took, took over and it's not what he is like in real life. And it's like, dude, he raped a 13 year old and then released, he, he videotaped himself raping a 13 year old and released the footage online. Like that's who we're dealing with. And it's mentioned, it's mentioned in the movie, but it's not mentioned enough. They need to keep mentioning it so that any viewers who are watching this and possibly thinking that this is a cool dude know that this is, he's a pedophile and a rapist and whatever happens to him is probably deserved. Yeah. So at any rate, do not watch this movie. It's a shitty documentary. Uh, and Obviously, the subject of the documentary is a shitty human being also. Gotcha. I have a good documentary, an experimental documentary, and it's also a short documentary. It's only 29 minutes long. Whoa. Which is really the only, uh, the only thing that I have issue with, with this is that I wish it were longer. I wish this were a full length, and that is uh, Anna Baz, her documentary, uh, the Yemiyeki, which is it addresses the genocide of the Wamori people or the Wamori Atroari people in 1970s. So, this is in Brazil under the dictatorship, and a large portion of this tribe was essentially just like hunted and murdered in order to build a highway. That's it, that's all it was. And they, you know, they built like this mining complex and they just, they hunted them down, killed them just so they could build this road. And all it is, is, well, it's a lot of things, honestly, but it's, she finds um, this, this guy who worked with this tribe in the seventies or in like the late eighties of trying to get them essentially doing like a literacy program, right? So he went there and he's he trying to, you know, write down everything in their language and all that. And what he came to find is like they love drawing. They just love drawing pictures. Like the whole the entire blackboard, everything, just pictures. And that's they they just drew everything. So what she ends up doing is getting all of these uh, pictures that the tribe drew from this man who kind of kept like this vault of everything 
that happened at that time. So you have all these pictures, they're kind of superimposed on like the natural landscapes. Um, he's kind of discussing like things that were happening at the time, questions that they were having. And essentially like the main thing that it came down to, which is really, really simplistic, but at the same time, really, really like emotionally resonant and powerful at the end is like, these people only had one question really. And the only question that they ever had was, why did you kill us? Like, why, why did you do this? Like, that's all they wanted to know. They just wanted to know like, why? Why did you hunt us and kill us? And I mean, it's it, it's pretty phenomenal. It's it's really compelling. It's really really interesting because obviously it was something that it, I had absolutely no knowledge of whatsoever. Mm. So you know, getting a little bit of it is just like okay, I I want more. I would like to know like everything about this situation. Yeah, this sounds really good. Uh. How did you see this? I saw this, unfortunately, on the Festival Scope. Oh, okay. Pro. Okay. So, but if if and when, because I know a lot of her movies have come to Mubi before, and I know that it came to Mubi UK, so I'm hoping at some point it comes to Mubi USA. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully this will be on Mubi at some yeah. point in the future. Uh, the only other one that I will mention is a documentary called Floored. This came out in 2009, directed by James Allen Smith. Uh, it's about traders on the CME. And it's, it's it was shot over a period of several years during the... It starts before the financial crisis in 2008, but it goes into that as well. Like It, it follows some of these traders as they navigate the financial crisis, but it also sort of looks at the transition from floor trading to digital trading. And the, the documentary is, it's kind of a cool time capsule, I guess in, you know, following the sort of evolution of the market and the transition into a digital space where like a lot of these dudes like a lot of the old guys that have been trading on the floor their whole lives like just they just didn't want to do it like they just refused to move into digital trading and they got left behind like a lot of them had to find like they just quit they had to find different jobs or they retired and then some of them attempted to make the transition and ended up you know losing all their money because they just they couldn't do it I guess it was, I guess it's, I've never traded on a trade floor or anything. I don't know how, how all that works, but apparently it's like way different when you're trading on the floor compared to when you're just like staring at charts and prices and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it was a kind of interesting documentary. Like the, the subjects of the movie were not particularly compelling people. I mean, they're exactly who you would expect to see like, the people you know on trade floors like not very likable like you don't really care about these dudes too much um i mean i certainly felt bad like one of the guys he he ends up he's a trader and he ends up losing $150,000 in one trade and like his wife leaves him and he has to move out of his house and into this like din dingy apartment and like it, basically one trade ruined his whole life Wow. But it's um it's okay. I mean, it came out in 2009, but the movie looks really bad um quality-wise. I did watch this on YouTube, but I could tell even even on YouTube the that the like the ca the cameras and stuff that they used were very, just very low quality. So uh it, it was all right, I guess if you're interested in how the Chicago Mercantile Exchange works and how the trade floor worked and like sort of what it's like now. Maybe it's worth a look. But it this was one of these deals where again I was just bored at my in-laws' house watching some watching some YouTube stuff and this like kind of popped up on my recommended 
and I put it on and it's only 77 minutes long. So I ended up watching the whole thing. Oh, wow. Wow. It just sounds like a bad week for you. Uh, yeah. Movie yeah. Watching. I saw some, I saw plenty of good TV, but no, nothing, oh, yeah. nothing good as far as movies. Yeah. TV is much easier to, to know what's good and what's not. Uh, the, the only other movie I have to talk about, I, I got to utilize Amazon prime. And I was renting it for two ninety nine on the on the Amazon Prime. There is John Sturgis' Bad Day at Black Rock from nineteen fifty five. And uh, talk about location! Oh my goodness, this takes place in it's like right after the end of uh, World War Two in this like extremely small town. <laughs> Spencer Tracy takes the, the the streamliner to this town. This is the first time in four years that the train has stopped here. And it's literally like five buildings. That's it. And it's just a handful of people. He gets off the train. He's here. He just needs to meet someone. And as soon as he gets off the train, everyone loses their shit. <clears throat> because they've obviously they've done something and they don't want to get found out. But what the thing is, is like, he's not, Spencer Tracy is not really looking into it at all. Like, he's not there to like investigate anything. They just assume that he is for some reason and they just all lose their shit. And the paranoia just overtakes them and they essentially just hang themselves like every scene. And all he does is he wants to drive to this very remote area called Adobe Flats. They see a guy that lives out there. He rents a Jeep, drives out. That guy's not there. He comes back and he's like, okay, this is these guys are weird. I think they're going to kill me. So I want to leave. And then all the people decide like, yeah, we need to kill this guy. And it's like, just fucking chill out. Just chill, guys. And just the way that it works out, the, the way that they like the the secret is slowly revealed, even though it's pretty obvious, but the way that it's kind of uncovered and just the way that they lose their minds. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, in the location too, just out in the middle of the desert with no one around. And I mean, the way that it's shot, the acting, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. This looks awesome. Yeah. It's incredible. Sounds like they had a bad day at Black Rock, huh? Which, you laugh, right? And I looked it up. This is actually like a like an old-timey phrase. Bad huh. day at Black Rock. Like, that's a phrase where, like, it's a like a fateful day that ends in tragedy or something. Hmm. Which, I mean, the phrases that they used to have. They had phrases for everything, and they were all fucking stupid. Yeah. We should start using that phrase uh, throughout the podcast moving forward. Everybody will just be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, but I, I do want to point out that a old or a young Ernest Borgnine gets the shit kicked out of him by a one-armed Spencer Tracy. Pretty okay, great. Well, as if I wasn't already adding this to my watch list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get on board, buddy. Nice. Cool. Uh, and that's a bad day at Black Rock. Check that out on Amazon Prime. Give it a rental. Do it. All right. All right. Let's take a look at what we have on VOD. On December 1st, we have King of Knives. Tells the story of Frank and Kathy, who are baby boomer parents, and Sadie and Caitlin, their millennial daughters. Oh. Yep. Oh. The, the title, the title pull. doesn't necessarily match the synopsis of that one. No, you you said King of Knives, and I had a whole another movie in my head. <laughs> yeah, disappointing. Yep, we have Thirst, which also comes out on the first. This is quote the the new and most badass gay vampire zombie splatter movie you'll ever see ever. Oh, okay. Thirst. I believe this is Icelandic. 
Yes, I'm sure that this is Icelandic, actually. Uh, we have Beast Mode. Fame is a monster. Mm. Uh, we have Disco. About 19-year-old Merjam, who's a champion disco freestyle dancer. Oh, hell yeah. And her stepmom who is a charismatic evangelical pastor mm. she gets lured into a crazy that's an odd, that's crazy an odd couple yeah she gets lured into a crazy highly conservative Christian sect oh no and we have mystery of the pink flamingo this is a documentary of sorts I know that John Waters is in it an eccentric character employs unusual research efforts to reveal the true story behind the pink flamingo. Mm-hmm. Okay. On December 3rd, we have Anything for Jackson. This is on Shudder. Fear Your Elders is the tagline for that one. So it's, it seems like another one of these, you know, relic style oh, ones, God. maybe. I hope not. I think it's going to be a lot more out there after losing their only grandson in a car accident grief-stricken audrey and henry a doctor kidnaps his pregnant patient with the intention of performing mm-hmm. a reverse exorcism putting jackson inside her unborn child oh, okay no, so, yeah that's different that's yeah different. I'm, <laughs> I'm for it I'm okay for it. i i uh, <laughs> i might have to check this one out that's a much better idea than you know dementia is yeah your, your standard old Old people. That's great. Reverse exorcism. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of a clever idea. On December 4th, we have Wander. That's Friday. Uh, Also on December 4th, we have La Leyenda Negra. That's on HBO Max. We have Crock of Gold. That is the documentary about uh, Shane McGowan from The Pogues. Hmm. Might give that a look. Um, we have I Hate New Year's, which is a looks like a rom com. Minor Premise, which is a sci fi thriller about a reclusive neuroscientist who becomes entangled in his own experiment, pitting ten fragments of his consciousness against each other. Oh no. It's got a cool cover. I'll give it that. He's like melting. Uh, let's see. We also have What Lies Below. It's like a thriller. We got 76 Days. That's going to be a virtual theatrical release that covers the first 76 days of the, the COVID-19 outbreak in China. No. No, thanks. Yeah, we're still living it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been through those 76 days. Yeah. You know, not too long no, ago. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're fucking fresh. They're, yeah, they're fresh. <laughs> about a year, about a year, <laughs> just under a year ago, went through those yeah, that, seventy-six days. That's fine. That's fine. I I, I know what happens. Yeah, uh, dear Santa. That's a documentary about, I guess, kids writing letters to Santa or some shit. We got oh, we got Billy. This is the documentary um, about Billy Holiday. And it looks like that's about it for VOD this week on Blu-ray. Let's see. We have Popeye. This is the 1980 Robert Altman mm-hmm. 40th anniversary edition. Nice. Popeye. It's been forever since I've seen that. I feel like I should watch that. In here. I remember really enjoying it as a child. It's such a bizarre, it's just a bizarre movie. It, it, the fact that it exists, you know, it's just kind yeah. of bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that it does. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right. A bunch of Eddie Murphy movies are coming out on various formats, including Beverly Hills Cop, The Golden Child, Coming to America, Trading Places. Uh, I'm not sure what that's all about. But, yeah. Most of them are going to be 4K editions. Let's see, we have, uh, looks like Blade is getting a new 4K release. The Barbarians from 1987. 
Arrival is getting a new 4K edition. Leon the Professional is getting a new 4K edition. The Rental from earlier this year, which uh, I would probably pass on. It was not very memorable. It was okay, I guess. Ooh, double pack of the Equalizer and the Equalizer 2. I I saw I think I I think I saw the first one. I'm pretty sure I did not see the second one. I've not seen the second one yet either. I saw the first one as well. Didn't the second one come out like many like a long time after the first one? I think so. Maybe not long, but it was good while. It was, it, yeah, it was further enough out that you're like, okay, that's interesting. Looks like a bunch of stuff is being released. Like for PS5, so I'm I'm looking okay. at the this packaging and it's like 4K Movie Essentials and it has like the PS5 logo and all of the movies have like a similar cover. So you wow. have you have a lot of these movies that are definitely geared towards like 20 something year old dudes, including The Fifth Element, Pineapple Express, Venom, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, Baby Driver, The Spider Man Far From Home, Zombieland, Double Tap, Bloodshot. Underworld, tons, tons of movies that I, from the looks of it, they're just 4K Blu-rays, but they have like this PS5 packaging. Mm-hmm. Don't know what that's all about. Yeah, trying, trying to cash yeah. in. I would assume that these are all Sony movies. Yeah. Yeah, from the looks of it, they are. Anyway, uh, that's about it for Blu-ray. What about Criterion's this week? We got one. That's 1996. Crash. Mm. The good one. David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg, which I have not seen Crash. It's so, uh, it's something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like the main, the main reason that I haven't watched it. Because I have, I just, I have this feeling where I'm like, it's probably a good movie and it's something, but I don't know if I'm just ever in the mood for Crash. Yeah, I- I think I don't was, think I ever will be. I think it was rated NC seventeen, if I remember correctly. Originally, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's yeah, it's, it's pretty tricky to watch. Yeah, I just I don't think I'm ever going to be in the mood for it. Maybe one day we'll see. I mean, to be clear, it is really good, and I would recommend it. I'm kind of curious to see what the Criterion one's all about. I think that's going to do it for this week. Now, thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider giving us a review on iTunes. That would be very helpful. For Kevin Reichstraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.